It is Harris Hastings in Dover, Altitude 92.5, home of your Nuggets, Avalanche and Rapids, and Denver's only sports talk. And we are pleased to be joined by the head coach of your Denver Nuggets, home from a Western Conference final trip in the bubble in Orlando. Coach, a good morning to you. Appreciate your time, and, and a first and foremost, man, welcome home. What'd you do? Coffee joint? Burger joint? Just hugging the kids and wife? What's the first thing you did when you got home? Yeah, uh, don't I don't drink coffee, I don't, and I don't eat burgers. So oh, yeah, I knew that. We're out. But I did hug <laughs> yeah. my kids, I did hug my wife, and uh, just kind of reconnecting. You know, as you mentioned, 83 days we were gone, and um, I think I can speak for everybody that was down there. Much rather be in Orlando still, still playing in the, uh, heading into the NBA Finals, but uh, coming home and, and being with family and loved ones um, is a pretty good consolation prize. So uh, happy to be home. You know, Michael, we've talked about during this whole experience, and, and Josh asked it just a while ago, is there an asterisk by this championship? And I said, yeah, if there's an asterisk, it, it should be maybe the hardest championship ever won because we've learned that home court doesn't manage. The fans at home uh, matter, I mean, and and, and – being isolated in a way like you're talking about now, I don't think people understood the mental uh, anxiety, for lack of a better word, that that it really caused for a lot of players and coaches down there. Oh, it's real, and I would agree. I said that long before we even made it down to Orlando uh, because there was that question being um, thrown out there about, you know, will this champion, you know, have an asterisk and, and will it take away from, hey, you know what, you're in a bubble, there is no home court, all that. And, and I felt uh, whoever comes out winning, Miami or L.A., uh, they deserve so much credit because um, to be isolated, to be – and for coaches, it's a little different. It's hard, no, no doubt, but we're so busy with preparing and game planning. If you're a player, you play the game, you go to practice, you take care of your body, there is literally nothing to do. Uh, and so how do you fill that time? And, and obviously – uh, our players did a tremendous job of handling that, but it, it wasn't easy. So to your point, Scott, I agree. Uh, whether it's the Miami Heat or the L.A. Lakers, whoever wins this thing, you have to give a ton of credit. And even for our group, getting to the Western Conference Finals, going down there with half of a team because of COVID, and then once we got into the playoffs, being without two starters for a while, a lot of it, um, our group deserves so much credit for what we were able to do in light of everything going on around us. And, and that's why I was so proud of our guys. Congratulations on an exceptional uh, record-setting season, Coach. It's really amazing what you did. And in that vein, you know, belief and, and perseverance are things you have to have as an athlete before they show up on the court or the field. The belief and perseverance we saw from these Nuggets inspired this whole city when did it when did it form because it had to have it had to have formed before you got to Orlando is there a moment in this season where you can say I I looked at this team and I thought we are incredibly resilient and believe in our ability to win yeah and and it happened way before this season you know this is something that has been in the making uh and, and maybe I think on a national and an international stage um Everybody else came to appreciate it, but we, we knew we had it. We knew it was within us. And, you know, this is my fifth year here, and I think uh, slowly but surely this has been developing. It's being uh, has been nurtured uh, and brought out. And, you know, the example I can give is even even uh, my third year here, we, we go into a situation towards the end of the season where 
we lost a couple of close games, and, and everybody says, well, we're done. We have no chance to make the playoffs now. And we had lost a tough game in Toronto, and, and, and we stayed over. And before we flew the next day, I met with the team to talk about just that. Uh, who, who here still believes that we can make the playoffs? Because we have enough time, we have enough talent, and I think we can. And we wind up losing game 82 in Minnesota, but the run we went on after that, the amount of games that we wanted to put ourselves in position, showed me that we were we were a resilient group, that we did believe, and we had all the intangibles, mental toughness, the grit, um, and that belief that you mentioned to give ourselves a chance. So it wasn't just this year in the bubble that that showed up. I've seen it countless times beforehand, and then it, it just showed up on a much bigger stage uh, while we were down there. So uh, that's a testament to the group of guys that we have, that we continue to fight, we continue to believe, and we continue to play and love uh, one another. We are talking to Coach Michael Malone here from your Denver Nuggets, Coach. And go back to that Lakers series. Obviously, you, you have a, an uphill battle when you're facing a LeBron and an Anthony Davis. You mentioned the, the rebounding a couple of times. We asked you uh, about Joker getting in some foul trouble, tough to find the rhythm. You've got to watch the film. You've got to sleep on it a couple of nights. Is there one or two things maybe that stands out in your, your basketball brain of going, man, if we just could have, we could have maybe pushed the Lakers a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if a games to one, uh, and I do believe this when I say this, uh, I, I think the series is a hell of a lot closer than that final outcome would indicate. Um, but the rebounding was, was, was really important uh, throughout the series. And if you look at it, um, our defensive rebounding is, is a big concern of mine. You know, uh, we were, in the first round, we were ninth out of 16 teams, I believe, in re- defensive rebounding percentage. In the second round, we were seventh of eight teams. And in the West, uh, in the conference finals, out of four teams, you know, two in the East, two in the West, we were dead last in our rebounding percentage. So rebounding, especially defensively, is a huge concern moving forward. Something that we have to look at. And the three-point shooting, obviously, you know, uh, we were, I think, in game number five against the Lakers, we were eight of thirty from the field, and it's it kind of like a defensive rebounding. As the rounds went on, I mean, against Utah, we shot the crap out of the ball, forty-two <laughs> percent. And then we dropped down to 35 in the second round, and then we dropped down to 33 in the Western Conference Finals. Um, so if we could have made a few more shots, uh, if we could have rebounded the ball at a higher level, um, those, those things definitely would have helped us uh, stretch that series out and maybe give us a chance to win that series. Um, but it, it didn't happen, and that's where you, have, you take this time in the offseason to take a really deep look in terms of your team, where we are, uh, and it's a, it's a fine line. You don't want to panic because we just had a big historic run, but you never want to be satisfied. You always have to look at what what can we do better and how can we be better. And I know we'll have those conversations. We're not afraid to have those conversations. You know, Coach, and, and you talked about this. The You coached LeBron earlier in his career for five years. I think you've had a relationship with him now for the next ten years following that, I think, or nine years, whatever it is. Uh, and you watch the mindset. Talent is talent, and you guys have acquired talent. But the mindset of LeBron, I don't think the casual fan understands that quote-unquote championship mentality. Um, I thought you saw that big time, especially in, in, in that game five. But talk about that, just that mentality. And, and does Nicola see that and Jamal see that and – you know, Michael Porter and some of the younger guys that are still coming up in the system, it, do they understand what they got to witness in those five games 
between one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they did. I, I think it'd be hard not to. I mean, what he did in that fourth quarter uh, is what great players do. They just take over and and they 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 will their team to a win. And obviously, having coached LeBron and been around him and, and, and witnessed his greatness firsthand four or five seasons, uh, you come to have just a tremendous amount of respect uh, for that. And, and I felt, you know, let's be honest, you know, we, we don't get to the Western Conference Finals if Jamal Murray didn't have those types of moments in that Utah series, if Nikola Jokic didn't have those types of moments throughout the playoffs. So that, that that's kind of encouraging for me. I'm not saying that Nikola or Jamal are LeBron James, but in big, in big games, in elimination games, when you need your best players to step up and will your team to a win. We had countless examples of that. You don't win six straight elimination games without guys stepping up and owning the moment and, and, and not running from it. And, uh, and that was just great to see that we had, you know, this is LeBron's 10th NBA Finals. You know, this is the second time in Nuggets history they've got to the Western Conference Finals. And to do it with the amount of young players that we have under 25 years old uh, that we drafted and we uh, developed and we helped them improve, uh, that's what makes this so satisfying. But LeBron is tremendous, one of the greatest to ever do it. And, and I felt that Nikola only further cemented his status in the NBA. And Jamal Murray made a very loud statement in Orlando that, hey, you know what? I am no longer Nikola's sidekick. I am no longer a good player. I am also a great player, and I am also part of this franchise. And we knew that, but now I think the rest of the world knows that. Coach, part of the reason why you know that is you're so engaged with your players in the offseason. I loved when you went to Serbia to see Nikola Jokic. I mean, you go out of your way to connect with your players. What does that look like now, especially with the pandemic going on? How are, how are you planning to connect with your players and encourage them in this short off season that you'll have? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question, and I don't have the answer to that. I mean, I'll be honest, even uh, the first on my list is trying to connect with my mother and father. You know, I haven't seen them in, <laughs> in, in a year and a half. Wow. And, wow. you know, it's you know trying to get back to New York to see family, but it's also, um, you know, is that is that responsible in nature? You know, as much as I want to see them, my parents are older. And do I want to bring anything to them uh, and, and put them in a position where they may – um, be at risk, but we'll, we'll figure that. With our, we'll, we will figure that out with our players. How to connect with them in person, um, Zoom, on the phone, whatever it might be, because that has been a big part of our off seasons is spending time with our players here in Denver, but also in their respective markets. And I think the players always appreciate that when a coach, myself or one of my assistants, takes time to go and see them and, and continue to work with them on the court, and get to know them off the court. And uh, I think that's why our player development program has, ta- has been one of the best in the NBA in the last five years is I think our players know how much we care about them, and uh, and that allows for even more of a buy-in from their part. Hey, let me throw this out here real fast. I just got a message a, a little while ago, and I don't even know, Coach, if you realize this, that yesterday would have been one, one calendar year for media day for last season. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, so it was it was a it was a very long and drawn out season, and now, now we're. I think what uh, we're, I'm really hoping the NBA can, can help us out in this regard. One of the hardest parts of the four and a half month hiatus was the constant unknown. We didn't know if we were going to restart. We didn't know if if we did restart, when it was it going to be, where was it going to be, and what was it going to look like. 
And now as we head into next season, I think everybody needs to know mentally, okay, this is when the season's going to start. This is when training camp will start. This is when media day will be. Because that allows everybody to shut down and, and take some time off and then know exactly what I have to prepare for and when that's going to be. Because when you don't know for four and a half months, am I playing, am I not playing, that made it really hard for a lot of people because that's what we do. We plan, we prepare, and when you don't have a black and white start date, uh, that ambiguity really made it tough to, to get ready. So I hope the NBA can give us a lot more clearance and, and, head up, uh, and heads up as we kind of go into this offseason. Coach, what do you think is, is best? I mean, what do you for you personally, for your team, maybe for the, the league moving forward, Scott and I have talked about it a lot, and that Christmas Day dominated by the NBA, and it's just great. I mean, as a basketball junkie, to sit around and watch hoops all day. Is that something you think the league should target? Do you need a little more time going into January? What do you think fits best for you, for the team, for the rest of the league? Well, yeah, I would rather be home with my family on Christmas. I know all you basketball junkies like watching Christmas, but <laughs> my I mean, bad, there, coach. there's 10 teams that are away from my their bad, families coach. on Christmas Day. So, uh, But I did see that Adam Silver recently came out and stated that the original date they came up with months ago was December 1st, and I, re- I think they quickly realized that was very unrealistic uh, because at that point when they said that, they didn't realize how hard this bubble was going to be, and I think once they got down there, and they talk to the players, and they talk to the coaches. They said, listen, uh, if we start December 1st, we're probably going to be in a bubble again. I don't think anybody wants to go to a bubble ever again. I think we're all hoping that if we can push this back a little bit, try to have teams play in their respective markets, in their home arenas, uh, have some fans come to the games, depending on what happens in this fall with the, uh, you know, the forecast of a second wave of coronavirus combined with the flu season. So if we get into Jan- January, I think that allows the teams that were down there for an extended stay to get plenty of rest. And more importantly, I would love for us to be able to play in front of our fans again. Uh, it was it was great winning games and getting to Western Conference Finals, but the one thing that was missing were our Denver fans in the Pepsi Center, making it the toughest place to play in the NBA. So I would much rather be able to play home games in front of our fans. And if that means pushing it into January – then so be it. I'm fine with that. Coach, what was it like to not have to travel, though, during the playoffs? I mean, that had to have been a bonus of some kind. It was great. No, there, there, There's always uh, positives and negatives to every situation. And I think a few of the positives were, as you mentioned, not playing a game. I mean, we were playing games at midnight. I mean, like, well, 9 o'clock, we're not getting back to our hotel till after midnight. And so now if you're flying out after games the next that takes a lot out of you. Um, so the fact that you could just go back to your hotel and not worry about going to an airport, flying, getting into another hotel or, or home at 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, that was great. I also think it was pretty cool that you you were basically um, in a bubble where it was very restricted. You couldn't leave. You couldn't go anywhere. So one thing that allowed for is that for coaches and players, it was just all basketball all the time. Hey, I'm bored. Let's go to the gym and shoot. You know, let's watch film. Let's prepare. It wasn't like you had family, friends, and hey, I'm going to the movies. I'm going to this bar. I'm going to this restaurant. No, you had very limited options. So you were really allowed to just focus on the task at hand. Um, with that and travel, which I think were two of the things that kind of um, were positives in terms of being down there for 83 days. Well, Devin Booker said that with that great run that Phoenix had. Remember in the 
into the season games. I mean, they were fantastic. And they asked him, he goes, all we're doing is concentrating on basketball. And, and to me, I was like, hey, you might want to take that back next season. <laughs> and maybe you guys yeah. might be a little better. But, <laughs> hey, let's go look ahead just a little bit. And obviously, you, you guys played the entire time down there with – Without Will Barton, I think he might have got in one of the exhibition games. Maybe I don't. Maybe not. Yeah, he played. A, he played in a, 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 the first half of one of our scrimmages. Yeah, yeah, and and you know you talk about not knowing four and a half months if something you know with his injury could have been done in surgery. If he didn't know and say, listen, we're going to start up in four more months, he might have had time to take care of stuff. That being said, what what are you hearing about all that? Um, as far as guys and, 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 well, I guess Will most important because, because of the injury stuff. And then, uh, you know, I said it the other day, this, this, because how close you guys are, you, you know, never, never, uh, and never is there a team the same as the year before. There's probably going to be guys missing from this team. How much involvement and when will you sit down with Tim as far as kind of road mapping a plan going forward for, for the team for next season? Yeah, I think, you know, regarding Will, regarding the health of our team, obviously not having a starting small forward for, I think we played 19 playoff games. You know, that that's that's not easy. Now, you can look at it both ways. All right, so Will's not there, and there are certain things that Will Barton brings to our team that other guys just can't do. But then that, that also allowed us to take a look at Jeremy Grant as a starting small forward right. you know, to, to, to try to compete with the L.A. Clippers and the L.A. Lakers. Uh, it allowed Michael Porter to get a lot more minutes and, and play, uh, which really is only going to ha- help his development and speed his development up. So you try to make positives out of tough situations. So Will is still working uh, on his rehab, getting his body right, getting healthy um, down in Miami. So we hope, you know, with his group and his training group and the doctors down there. Um, so that that was tough playing without Will and not having him around because he's been here for five years and is a big part of it. And then as far as you know, the conversations you know that Tim and I will sit down you know with our staff front office and just kind of assess the season, assess the playoff run, and figure out hey, well, what, what are the biggest areas that we have to try and address because there are teams that have gotten to Western Conference Finals like I think Portland last year. I mean, they got rid of seven rotation players, and they went to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong. That was their decision. Uh, but I think it's really fine line of not being satisfied, saying we're coming back with the same group, but also not being, you know, uh, too cautious and saying, you know what, we, we can make a, a move here or there that's going to help our roster. And those will be the conversations. You know, I mean, just take, and I think we all need a little bit of time before we do that to fully decompress and to reflect and to look back upon uh, because, you know, I got home on Sunday and, you know, and today's Wednesday. So probably sometime in the next few weeks we'll, we'll be able to do that. Uh, and then we start getting ready for the draft and all those kinds of things. But uh, I always look forward to those conversations. They're always productive. And you have to be able to have those honest conversations to really make a plan so we can move forward in hopes of bringing Denver their first NBA championship. Coach Malone is our guest, gracious with his time. The last one I got for you, Coach. Uh, I know there's going to be, you know, some off-season things you want everybody to work on, but uh, specifically Nicola and Jamal, Joker and Jamal, who, you know, shined as you said earlier in this postseason run. Once again, proven they belong in those conversations with other stars. Something you want those two specifically to work on to help this team moving forward in this uh, off-season, whatever it may look like. 
Yeah, I tell you, man, as I look back on these 19 games we just played, and, you know, Jamal Murray in 19 games averages 27 points a game, seven assists, five rebounds, and he shoots 50-plus from the field and 45-plus from three. Uh, my greatest challenge to Jamal is going to be you brought the consistency in the playoffs. You know, and that, that's, that word has been something I've spoken quite often about with Jamal is being consistent. So now my challenge is going to be, can you be consistent throughout the season? And it's no secret. I mean, you know, Jamal has proven to be a great player, um, as I've mentioned many times, and what he did down there. But we need Jamal to be ready to play for all 82 games. And I think in his first four years, there's been a pattern of him maybe not getting off to great starts to start the season. And that, and that can't be. I want Jamal Murray to be an all-star. We should be a two-all-star team next year. And for Jamal to achieve that, he has to bring it from game one all the way through game 82 and then in the 16 playoff wins that we have when we win our championship. So just to stretch out that consistency and bring it for all 82, which I know he's capable of, and, and I think especially in light of what he just did on the biggest stage possible. Uh, and, and for Nicola, it's just to maintain what he's done. The improvements that he made in his body uh, were remarkable, well-documented throughout the season, often uh, you know reported on uh, quite erroneously because they all thought it happened over the pandemic break, but it, it happened way before that. But here's a guy that averaged 25 points a game, uh, 10 rebounds, six assists, and also shot 50-plus from the field and 43 from three. So his game is there, but I just want the biggest thing that Nicola can do is continue to get comfortable with being a leader and being more vocal because he has to understand that when he does that, the whole team is listening. You know, he's like E.F. Hutton, man. When Nicola talks, people listen. And he's got to understand that those words are valuable. And he has to be able to not do it when he's feeling good. He has to do that consistently. So consistency, whether it's on the court, Jamal, or consistency just from a leadership and vocal standpoint for Nicola, I think could help them and, more importantly, our team tremendously. You know what, you mentioned guys all de decompressing and everything out. You also know there was, what, seven, seven, uh, and now the Clippers, seven seven or eight teams' jobs got open, and, heck, I think five of them were in the bubble or something like that, a crazy number. Uh, that being said, I mean, you also got to look at your staff, and you've got, you've got guys on your staff that people are interested in. Do, do you think – the staff that you finished with in the bubble will be that staff that you have uh, starting next season. I'm going to, I'm going to answer this and it's going to sound really, the initial response will be, I can't believe you just said that, but I hope I don't have the same staff next year. <laughs> right. I, I really do. I, 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 I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. And, and the reason I say that is Wes Unseld, I'll start with Wes. Wes Unseld should be a head coach. I mean, I don't know what 29 other teams are looking for. You know, here's a guy that has been uh, a huge part of what we've done here in Denver in five years. So if I'm a, I'm a GM or a president of a team that, hey, I want a coach that has been around the league, is smart, intelligent, articulate, um, has been around player development, uh, has been around a huge defensive improvement, has been around a team that won 30 games and now has won back-to-back -back division titles and gone to the Western Conference semis and Western Conference finals. Who doesn't want that guy? So I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know what the problem is, but I hope West isn't back. He shouldn't be back. He he's more than ready to be a head coach. Then I have two other guys on my bench, and uh, David Adelman and Jordy Fernandez, all uh, 
two other guys on my staff that, that are getting tremendous praise and are well-known throughout the league uh, with different types of backgrounds. So I, I think David and Jordy are also head coaches. And I'm not just saying this because they're on my staff, but I've been around this league a long time. I've been around different coaches, different staffs. I've seen a lot. But both David and Jordy have the chance to be head coaches. Jordy's already done it in the G League uh, and shown that he's more than capable. And David's father is a guy that should be the next coach who's entered into the Hall of Fame. Rick Adelman is a phenomenal coach and should already be there. For some reason, he's not. Uh, and then you look at the guys behind the bench, tireless workers, Ryan Bowen. This guy, Ryan Bowen, ruptures his patella tendon playing basketball. And everybody's telling him to go home and get surgery. And he says, no, I'm not leaving. Uh, you know, I, I'm staying. I want to be a part of this. I want to see us get to the NBA Finals. So he has surgery down there, seven-day quarantine, and he gets out, uh, you know, for, for game five against the Lakers. But uh, Charles Klask, John Beckett, Ogie Stojakovic, Stephen Graham, uh, Boniface Ndong, we have just tremendous staff who are all about the right things, selfless, hard work, and doing whatever they can to help our group out. So I hope I don't have the same group out because these guys deserve chances to lead their own groups and teams. But if they are back, we'll be better off for it as well. So it's a win-win in my eyes. Yeah. Coach, last one for me. A little fun here. Fans want to know if the hair will be back next year. What was yeah. it like having hair, man? <laughs> <laughs> you know what's so funny about that? Like, uh, and, you know, I, I, I'm one of six kids. I actually have two of my sisters live right here in Denver. Uh, my The youngest, uh, Shannon, lives uh, up in Lohi, right in Denver. And then the oldest in the family, Kara, lives up by uh, – um, like Broomfield area, I believe. I believe. I don't even know where she lives. Right? I've never even been up there. What a Come good brother I am. Coach. It's nice but all I know is, like my sister Shannon says, people, are, they just love talking about your hair, <laughs> which I, I find so funny. I'm like, don't you have something better to talk about? Like, let's talk about the debate last night. But uh, I, I don't know. You know I mean? I, I got some time to mess around with it. You know, maybe I'll come back with a mohawk. I, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. Draw pull so I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep the fans on the edge of their seat. And, and by the way, before I get off, I have to give Well Works Brewery a huge shout-out. You know, I was down in the bubble. And if you guys go back to play Dallas on March 11th, and Vic Lombardi after the game says to me, Coach, what are you going to do now? I said, I don't know, man. I, I said, I might head up to Greeley, Colorado, and visit Well Works Brewing, and then hop on my mountain bike. And so Well Works heard that, and they sent me some beer because they were so thankful. Nice. So then a few <laughs> weeks ago, I'm in the bubble, and I get a, uh, a, a text from one of the guys in Well Works who, who, I, who I was put in touch with. And he goes, Coach, this started off as a joke, but we're going to run with it. And they released the beer. I think it got released yesterday. It's called Prost Malone. And it's in honor of their favorite team, the Denver Nuggets, and their favorite coach, Coach Malone. So I recommend and suggest everybody in the Denver area, make sure you pick up some Well Works, uh, Prost Malone, and we can all toast together on a hell of a season. Uh, and, and the excitement that we all have for the future and what's ahead of us. So uh, huge shout-out to Well Works, man. My mother couldn't believe it. She said, your grandmother would be so proud you got a beer named after you. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I think that just became the number one beer in Denver. Too. Yeah, I know I'm getting some. I, hey, so. I, I hate craft beer, and I will drink this right here. I, that, that good on well works right there. Hey. Oh, I tell you what, man, and, and I'm not just saying this. But, I mean, because when Vic asked me that question, I said I was going to Greeley to visit Well Works because that's one of Colorado's got great breweries. I mean, you have Sky Brewing down in Durango. You got Outer Range in Frisco. 
But well works is, you know, a they have the juicy bits. Scott, if you don't like it, I'd be shocked, man. Just give it a chance. But <laughs> all, all the all the beer folk in Denver know how good well works is. So uh, we'll toast some Prost Malone to a to a hell of a season, and uh, we'll go from there, man. But it's always being uh, uh, great being on with you guys, man. It's good to talk to you. Hey, hey coach, you know, you, and feel free to use this. You know, the only thing better than a cold beer, don't you? What's that? <laughs> a free cold beer. <laughs> uh, you're right about that, Scott. You're right about that. Cheers. Hey, coach, hey man, we, we love you, yeah, Death, man. We really appreciate you coming on during the, the, the thing great, and coach. stuff. And, and uh, I know your wife and kids miss you, and, and I know you need a little little quiet time. And call me if you want to get away for a couple of days, so let me know. Some pro no, I will. And, you know, and I, the, only, the only thing I feel bad about is because I heard from so many people, like the, the vibe in Denver – like that, you know, like and and how the, like the city was so behind the Nuggets and the excitement, and you know we're all going through some tough times. I mean, this country is going through some tough times. Denver is going through some tough times with a pandemic, and obviously with the Black Lives Matter movement and all this. And I just felt like from afar, I was so proud because I felt we were giving Denver and all of our fans maybe just a little bit of a respite in light of everything going on. Hey, you know what? We can feel good about our team who is representing us at such a great high level, and they're having fun doing it. So that that was my hope. And I, I don't feel bad because I couldn't walk down, the, like Larimer, I couldn't walk down the street and feel it and see it. You know, I heard about it from afar, but I just want to say thank you for all of our fans out there that got behind us. Uh, I know it wasn't the same not being able to come to the Pepsi Center, but we appreciate all your support, and, and we're going to need even more of it come next season. Uh, this team is not done yet. We got a lot of great things ahead of us, and I can't wait to be back in front of our fans, man. So thank you to everybody out there for that. I mean that. And, hey, and again, a thank, a thank you to you for the time, gracious yeah. with it, being on the show. And you'll and, see uh, about a whole bunch of new babies in about nine months, yeah, Coach. Yeah, hey, Coach, you better be careful. Um, hey, hey, real fast, I just got to say this because I know you work with Altitude so closely. How about Taylor Vincent, who was down there with you guys yeah. the whole time? A rock star, man. All that. Yeah. I mean, that, she was unbelievable. No, she, I tell you, man, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Like, we had so many people, like, just behind. Everybody talks about, you know, the, the players, rightfully so, the players lead, the coaches, this. I mean, but uh, Taylor, Taylor Vincent, right? She she captured everything and then some. And she did it in such a, a professional manner. Uh, you never felt like, and because that's always tough, you know, wins, losses, how, how do you fit in? How do you kind of do your job? And, and Taylor was incredible. I thought she uh, did a great job. And on top of that, she's just a really cool and great person, great girl. So uh, I applaud her efforts and her dedication and her sacrifice being down there. Uh, we had Nick O'Hare and Steve Blevins from our, you know, uh, communication staff, just on top of everything. Uh, Tim Conley and Calvin Booth. I mean, Calvin didn't have to be there. Tim didn't have to be there. There are a lot of presidents and GMs that were like, I'm not going down to the bubble. Are you kidding me? And we, our guys were in. Like we, we had a group that was all in, and I think that also speaks like in a, on a larger scale. We have a very connected group, not just players. And, and that's one thing I think it, it speaks volumes about. It starts with Stan and Josh Kroenke. It flows down into the front office, down into the coaches, the players, and all the support staff. Uh, we are all together. We're one big group. We're, we're not like – separate di- different groups and i think that really allows us to be as effective as we are so taylor and everybody else to your point scott was uh they were great and i've said this before man being in the bubble for 83 days was hard but i wouldn't want to do it with any other group if i had to be there for 80 days 
give me that same group and let's uh, let's do it again. So uh, kudos to Taylor and everyone else. And, Coach, you're already making weekend plans for folks. Uh, our guy Todd, who's listening to you, texted and says, my kid has a soccer game in Loveland this weekend. Just plan the post game at Weldworks. <laughs> hey, I'm telling you, man, head up there. Uh, and you know, those guys at Weldworks are huge Nuggets fans, obviously, and uh, they, they love it. So I, I'm, I'm going to head up there at some point. I'll be up there. So maybe I'll see some of our fans getting some – well works, Post Malone, Juicy Bits. <laughs> we appreciate Coach, you so much, Coach. Tell us the Masters of the Midday on, too. Tell them to brew one of those <laughs> yeah, things yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. Coach, thanks uh, so man, much, hey, man, listen, again. We'll talk sometime soon, fellas. I appreciate all your support thanks, and uh, always enjoy it. Absolutely. Thanks, Thank you. Coach Michael Malone with us right there.